Hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast, where we are all about cultivating consciousness in the digital age. Let's get going. Well, hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast with me, your host, Sebastian Sloven, and co-host Sonia Mohammed. Hey, everybody. And we're super excited today to have a very special guest. Kelly Sloan is here. What up, Kelly? Hey, folks. Awesome. So um, this is very exciting. Kelly's going to be sharing. We've known Kelly for a while. Mm -hmm. She's really wonderful Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And Kelly's going to be sharing some of her insights around working in the outdoor industry. And we've had lots of opportunities to collaborate with Kelly over the years and with Nature Unplugged and with Outdoor Adventures at USD. And we're super excited to have her today and we're excited to uh, continue to collaborate in the future. Woo! So Kelly, before we get going. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, Connecting with you all is always a treat for me. And I just really appreciate all the ways that we've found to connect. So I'm excited for others to hear about that. Yeah, Yeah, likewise. Us too, us too. So I'm going to share your bio, or a short version of your bio, and then we'll, um, we'll jump into it. So Kelly Sloan works full-time at the University of San Diego as program coordinator for the Outdoor Adventures Department. She's also, she also teaches wilderness first aid and leads backpacking expeditions for the National Outdoor Leadership School, or Knowles, uh, in addition to volunteering on the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team. Holy smokes. Currently, she's, <laughs> she's pursuing her master's degree at the School of Leadership and Education Sciences, at USD, looking particularly at how women first responders practice psychological first aid. Awesome bio, I'm excited. Um, so let's just let's jump into it, Kelly. Could you just share a little bit more about yourself and in your background? Sure. Uh, I, I think I always start on like the. There's a lot of assumptions about what it means to work in the, and be in the outdoor industry, as if that's a way that I grew up and a path that I've always known about, and it certainly hasn't been. Um, I was able to go to college and I had no intent upon graduating of, uh, using my history of art degree. And so I spent most of my college, like my entire college career focusing on activism. What that meant for me is I'd go march on Washington during classes. Uh, I spent a lot of time picketing, um, and things like gay rights were on the table. I did a lot of environmental activism. Uh, I was always thinking about women's rights, uh, which continue to be at risk. And so that activism was a huge part of my identity, um, kind of in my formative years. And so that's really been a part of kind of how I have come into the field that I am now, um, was really wanting to continue that part of my activist self. So Instead of college, my college education being an early choir qualifier for me, I think like my passion for justice and my belief in my personal power to be changed and enact change is what has really been a driver for me. Uh, I've loved the hustle. Early on uh, after college, I got involved with a couple different businesses and in the slow food movement in Columbus, Ohio. And that just really opened my eyes that food, uh, 
isn't necessarily, um, it's something that I believed was an equitable platform for people and it just wasn't. And so I started a community garden and I realized that not everyone could participate. And then in that community garden, I wanted there to be uh, a donation aspect to it. And eventually that led to this, like me painting a minivan green and calling it the green bean. And I went around the community and delivered vegetables to schools so that uh, students could have vegetables in an environment where they wouldn't uh, otherwise be able to have access to them in the way that I did. And it was in that that I saw that my connection to the earth, that my that I had a power and privilege to educate, um, and that on a very small level, I could be a part of some community change. And yeah. then that just really kind of catapulted me into something, a field that was really unique to me. Uh, looking at coffee, I had a chance to start a, a coffee business. And uh, a woman named Paulette Sullivan and I wanted our coffee to be resourced and grown by women and then roasted by women and then sold by women. And I didn't have any of those skills. And so I took myself to Nicaragua and Costa Rica to learn about farming. And in the end, we were able to do something really special with that. And so it wasn't until um, I made myself a business card when I was like 22 or 23 that I called myself a small business consultant, which was a lie, but felt true at the same time. But I realized that like I alone was a small business and that I could do anything that I wanted in the world that was important to me. Yeah. And so after a few years of kind of investing in these small businesses, uh, I made the decision to invest in the small business of myself. And I realized that I wanted to come even like closer to those activism roots yeah. and that environmental education was really important to me. And so I entered a field at the age of 30 of outdoor industry field. And I'll tell you that there were some barriers. Um, women who of the age of 30 are not typical. I'm a woman of size. And so things like clothing uh, wasn't out there for me to be able to participate um, in the way that I wanted to. And I felt really out of place. And so I spent a lot of time sort of reconciling what it means to be a woman who is like truly pursuing my passion for how I can be a change in the world in an industry that doesn't necessarily want me there. Yeah. And so... Now I'm like, as Sebastian, as you said in that intro, I'm really there, right? Like I'm fully immersed in this industry and yeah. I think doing really good work and it feels really good, but it was not a traditional path. Yeah. Interesting. So it sounds like much more rooted in activism and like making, wanting to make change um, than maybe like a, I don't know what the traditional outdoor industry path looks like, but I'm also curious. I mean, did you have some strong connections to, to nature as a kid? You grew up in Columbus, right? In, well, I grew up in Ohio, yeah. In Ohio, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious about, like, was it more, it sounds like more activism, or was it there, like, some early memories and kind of places that you played as a kid that, that also inspired you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that Ohio, one of the things that I recognize, it has this seasonal abundance that really kind of is giving, um, yeah, yeah. And I think about the ways that all of those seasons in Ohio like made me who I am, whether it's the 
kind of the birth of spring and hearing birdsong or playing in the snow or being able to ride my bike in the summertime. So I think that's a real, something that was really magical for me was having that sensory experience. Right. But possibly the most impactful thing for me growing up was we had relatives and the ability to live on an island called Ocracoke Island in North Carolina. It's a 14 mile long island that can only be reached by ferry boat and 13 miles of that island is national seashore. So it's as if I was transported as a child like by boat and dropped off onto a remote island and a really kind of a, a little fishing village that was behind the times. The coolest thing was that there were no stop signs, no stoplights, no road signs, and the roads aren't made with cement. Growing up, they were made with crushed shells. Ah. So even on something as simple as a road, there was some adventure and excitement to be found in what shells you might find as you're bike riding. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's a really unique experience. And the coolest thing is that our parents and my uncle in particular, who took care of us a lot there, really just let us go. And so you can imagine a young girl, like a woman, I think about myself when I was like hitting puberty in a place in Ohio where there were so many questions and discomfort around that. But on the island, I was, I was genderless and ageless um, and didn't have any pressure when I was in the water. I think Seb, you've made that reference too about how it felt for you to be growing up and when you would hit the water. Yeah. What that calmness felt like. And for me, I can firmly articulate that there were times when my family would send us out to go get dinner. And it wasn't even us. I would always say, I'll do it. And I would go to about like chest deep water. And I had this like rope connected to my waist in a five gallon bucket or uh, with an inner tube around it that was like taped to it. Yeah. And it would float behind me. And all I had to do was shuffle my feet. And there was this magic moment when you could shuffle and you'd feel the difference in the sand crystals. And then you'd have to dig at it a little bit with your foot and then reach down, hold your breath underneath the water and pull up a clam or an oyster. (laughs) That's crazy. And it was terrifying, right? Like you're like dipping your hand into seaweed. And then this is where it comes full circle for me. And then the smells of my grandmother or my mother cooking that clam chowder in the kitchen. Mm was the most magical thing for me to know that I had produced something, that I had had this experience in this cold water in the unknown and that something really soothing could come out of that. Yeah. Um, So that moment for me is the moment that told me that girls can do scary things and girls don't have to fit a mold. It's the moment and yeah. the lifestyle that shared with me that my body is capable and able to like do the kind of adventures that I'm interested in. And it also told me it supported my resilience in that doing something scary can have an outcome on this other side of comfort. Um, and I, I just think that that is available to us in ways if someone is there to help coach us through those moments, that that is all available to us. And that is the role that is important for me to play in this outdoor industry. Yeah. Is that the coach? 
That's really that's really amazing. I didn't know about that North Carolina time. I, you know, it's funny. I appreciate you sharing about about Ohio too, because my my um, impressions of Ohio. Everybody who grew up in Cleveland, and he tells me like, he's a bit older. But he definitely <laughs> got like this the the river. What I don't know what river was, but it was like famous for the river caught on fire because it the was river so caught on fire. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Can I tell you about that river? Yeah. This is the world that I grew up in. So the Cuyahoga Valley uh, National Park is there, but before it was a national park, it was, it was this poison river. And my mom loved to take us for adventures near the river. And we were never allowed to go in because it was too poisonous, right? Yeah. And so there was one day when she just kind of looked at us and winked and said, like, let's go in. And we put on like our waders that we would use to uh, use on Ocracoke on the island. Yeah. And we all held hands and we crossed a pretty big river. Now looking back, I'm not sure like how safe it was. But that is a defining moment for me that like this world of nature is all around us. And whether it's like literally deemed poison or someone else has said it's not for you or not at this time, that it is a bold move to step into that unknown and step into the river, right. even though we're scared or even though we think it's not for us. Um, I love the Cuyahoga River for that reason. It's actually a really uh, vivid memory for me of thinking that this thing is all around us and I just haven't put my foot in yet. And once yeah. I did, it was magic. That's really amazing. And that's, I mean, I resonate with that on a lot of levels. And I think it's, it fits so well our sort of messaging too, which is about connecting with nature in any way that you can. And you don't have to have the, if you don't have the means to go to like, you know, Alaska or the, or Patagonia or something like that, there, you know, step into the river, whatever that looks like for you. <laughs> right. Even if it's poisonous, but be careful. Right. But um, be careful. Do it safely. Do it safely. Yeah. Um, Kelly, I want to just, chat a little bit more, hear a little bit more about um, your role at USD in Outdoor Adventures. And you kind of alluded, you spoke a little bit to this, but and like what your day-to-day looks like and, and your guiding and coaching there. Sure, sure. Well, you said the word guiding, Seb, which is a word that uh, I think I, I find troublesome. Um, although, you know, now that I'm saying this live on a podcast, I realize how untroublesome it is, but for me, <laughs> it's always been really important, right? Cause we all, we can be guides in one another's lives and that's a really great thing. Yeah. But the mistake in the outdoor industry is thinking that folks that kind of are natural mountaineers or have this technical skill that our only role is to take people up and down a mountain. And then that's, right. that's kind of the main function that we have. Yeah. But in my role at a university, uh, thank God for universities like University of San Diego and other institutions that really value experiential education. There is a role for me of coach or yeah. mentor or instructor where it's not just about me taking you outside. It's about me. It's kind of about, it's not where we go, but how we do it. And yeah. the thing that we do uh, we practice a lot of what's called a Kolb's learning cycle. And it's about kind of taking people into a realm or into an experience, uh, having some type of experience there with oneself or with a community, reflecting on that experience, offering ourselves and others feedback around it, or sometimes we get direct feedback from nature. And then the most important part of that cycle is to then try it again. 
yeah. because there's nothing perfect about sometimes our experiences in the first moment. And it, doing an experience again really gives us a chance to compare to a before and after or a process that we might be engaged in. Um, and that is kind of what I do there. I take students on these adventures. I give them chances to develop their leadership style. Uh, we, we experience a lot of failure of gear yeah. and emotions and interactions. And then we reflect on it really critically and then we come back to it. And so that's how I describe my job. Uh, my family or other people that don't know very well might think that I'm just outside a lot having yeah. fun. Uh, but there's definitely a technique to it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's it's pretty amazing. You know, Sonia and I um, have shared a little bit about this, but, you know, had the opportunity to be interns with Outdoor Adventures. And so mm -hmm. I just can attest to the, or we can attest to the, just the fact that there's so much emphasis and attention on the development of the student guide. So, like, so I think it's important to share that, you know, it's not just you, right, it's not just you running mm -hmm. or guiding the trips. These are often led by uh, students that have trained under you and, and Mark, and it's pretty amazing, the whole thing. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I've always um, really appreciated about the culture and climate at Outdoor Adventure is that trial and error spirit. And obviously like managing the tension between not making such a big mistake that you're like in danger and unnecessary risk, but um, really creating a space where if you, forget a pot or if you forget some critical ingredients <laughs> or like the right gear, it's a very teachable moment and it like feels okay. So it's like the learning just happens in such a, like a nicer way than the sh like shame and guilt you might feel from making a mistake like that in some other climates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think speaking to the way that we do it, like the how we do it instead of where we do it philosophy is one of the hows, Sonia, of what we do is when someone does make a mistake, they can yell out, hey, I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And everyone turns around, smiles and claps for them. <laughs> and that is just one way that we kind of make, uh, oh, how, do, how do I say? It, it's a way that we take on risk, emotional risk, personal yeah. risk. Mm -hmm. Um, and get something really big out of it. Because often the thing that is limiting our students is that fear around making a mistake. So any chance that we have to eliminate that, you're right, we do it. And it starts with celebration. Yeah. That's cool. so cool. Yeah, it's an amazing program. So we're, yeah, it's, you all are doing incredible work. Mm -hmm. um, Kelly, I'd love to, to learn a little more about, and you talked, I think, very, you spoke very well about how nature's impacted you personally. And I just want to kind of dive into that a little more in terms of just like the, maybe like mental and emotional, or all of it, mental, emotional, physical sort of impact of nature on your personal sort of well-being and personal life. Yeah. Well, I think I referenced this right in the beginning of just how empowering nature has been for me. And the first thing that nature has done for me that as I've gotten older, I've been able to articulate is be a gender free zone. There is a freedom for me in nature yeah. and a platform where I'm not compared, compared my, I don't compare myself to the things around me. Yeah. And so when I am a part of nature, my womanness doesn't 
hinder me in the same way as I perceive that it does in aspects in the like the front country. Uh, when I'm with trees and I compare myself to them, um, I don't find faults. And so there's this part of me that I feel that when I'm in nature, I am whole. And it's because I've been given the opportunity to reflect on that, that I feel that way. And it's the thing that keeps me coming back because I really feel like I can speak for with other women out there that we are given every opportunity in the world to not feel whole in our urban settings, whether it's our dress, our look, our thinness, our physical ability. Um, and so if I, I'm wrapping it up in, in a nutshell as in like this one aspect, but it, it is the overarching theme for me that my mental health um, has been deeply influenced by my time outdoors. I think the other thing that has changed who I am as a person is my resilience. And we are given opportunities to tap into what resilience means for each of us. And I've had so many failed moments and so many mistakes uh, and so much hard time when I've been in these like outdoor settings that again, it's a privilege to be able to reflect on those. But now in any circumstance, I can reflect on what it was like to have a really difficult time, reflect on who I was in those moments, and then come back to some calming moments like the one I said earlier. Um, around the uh, the pot of cooking uh, clam chowder. Yeah. Kind of come back to these moments of safety and reflect on what you've been through. And it's helped me articulate that I am a resilient person and that I can draw on that resiliency. Um, and it's provided, that's been the platform for me that has been the most also identifying. That's amazing, yeah, that's really great. Yeah. Do you now? And now I know you do with outdoor adventures, and I know in your personal life and other endeavors, you do regular nature expeditions, trips, camping trips, <laughs> etc. I'm curious how you um, connect with nature on kind of more like the day to day level. Like, do you have any sort of practice around that, um, or you know, intentional practice about getting some nature time or anything like that? Well, I do. I, I have a lot of that in my life. Um, a few years ago, in 2014, I was involved in a mountaineering accident that if, when I really admit honestly to the public, there was a lot of things that I was at fault for in that accident. And it ended up in some participants um, being seriously injured. And after that incident, I was really questioning my worth, my value, my position in the industry as an outdoor educator and whether or not I belonged. And I took a lot of walks because I was afraid of the cold. I was kind of afraid of like being in the mountains again. So I didn't go back for a long time. And a lot in these walks, I just started noticing how I was feeling and how many emotions were there that were overwhelming. But the thing that wasn't overwhelming for me were the sounds of the birds. Hmm. And I started looking up and around me at the birds around me. And it became the most calming, identifying thing for me to be in their presence. And so I got really excited about birds around me. And then 
I have no, I know how it happened, but years later, I've got binoculars. I identify as a birder. I'm on birding forums. <laughs> um, people know me as a birder. My students love to point out cool birds when they're around me. And I'm sharing this with you to share that that's a daily practice of me being able to just notice what's around me. That is really grounding for me. Yeah. And for you, Sonia, or you, Sebastian, it might be the smell of the grass or the way that the trees rustle. But to have the ability for your surroundings to notice when they are calming for you, that is really uh, the scaffolding to my breath and to my feeling like I belong um, and that I am perfect, like just in that moment in what I'm doing. So I think bir I'm a birder. Yeah, I'll admit it, I'll admit yeah. it here. Yeah, for everyone. <laughs> I'm in this. You know, it's I, I really connect with that. I, I feel the same way about about the birds and birding. It's super grounding to me, and it's super accessible. Um, it is it's really amazing. Yes, yeah, it is it's really cool. Um, let me ask you this. This is a bit of a shift, but um, you know, a lot of times we we talk about the benefits of nature, and also you know how to be not we're not anti tech, but how to be intentional with technology. And I was just curious to kind of shift a little bit to the technology side and just for you personally, uh, you know, what's your relationship like with technology and do you have some practices that have helped you balance that? Hmm. Seb, I, I knew this question was going to come up and, <laughs> and I think one of the reasons that you're interviewing me or maybe people like me and that we have this relationship that's so connected is because we, we really feel similarly and that there are some real benefits to disconnecting from our technology. Um, and so I feel that I have a really healthy relationship with my technology. I love turning my phone off more than anything in the world, right? Uh, to the annoyance of some of the people around me. Yeah. And so there are a couple like, you know, tidy practices that I do. I learned ones that uh, an article that said like, just whatever you see first thing in the morning, is the first emotion that you're going to have. So if your alarm goes off and there's a crap message about COVID-19, then that's the first emotion that you have when you wake up. And there's some power to that, that we have the ability to kind of control kind of what floods back in the moment we open our eyes and giving myself permission to be in charge of that in some way has been really helpful. So I make sure that my notifications are off in the morning and that maybe I only see my alarm yeah. instead of the alarm of everything that's going on in the world around me. Yeah, it makes me great. feel like I have a little bit of choice. Um, I definitely think that I have a great relationship with um, not just boundaries. I think that boundaries are walls and one person's on one side and one person's on the other side, but I create parameters for myself in terms of response time or what I can and can't do. And with practice and involving the other person in those parameters, um, for example, Seb, recently I shared with you that I have a tight schedule and that I'm not able to accommodate your requests in the exact way that you requested them. That's true. Yeah. That was a brave thing for me to do. And it was also the truth for me. Yeah. 
And so I have learned with my technology to listen to my intuition of the rightest thing for me. And it's not, and then other people are involved in that. So I have to involve other people in that parameter setting. And that's what's turned out to be the most helpful for me in keeping my relationship with technology alive, abundant, and fulfilling as opposed to exhaustive and de-energizing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's great. Totally align with that. Yes. Great. I don't read any messages until there's coffee on board. How's that for, how's that for a tip? That's a good tip. No messages before (laughs) coffee. I like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So Kelly, I'd love to hear like, you know, we mentioned before we went on the podcast, we we love to offer our listeners a little challenge um, for the, for the week. And so I'd love to hear like, you know, any tip or challenge you may have. Uh, And, but before we do that, I just want to open up to see if there's, you know, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you feel pulled to share that we didn't get to or also for Sonia? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Seb, Sonia, I think that I wouldn't feel complete in this podcast and my representing an industry without really acknowledging the way that the industry presents itself kind of in the world. Um, Yeah. It's got a long history with oppression and enjoyment of nature kind of in the way that I see it, I know is like a privilege of my race and class. And I think something that's really important to me is to be able to dive into the positive aspects of nature through that privileged lens, which means not just taking people into nature in the way that I see it, but taking them to places that are important to them in the way that they see it. And I think something that you all do is really acknowledge what is ecological identity yeah. And for me, ecological identity is about like recovering and reclaiming the importance for nature for the individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asking each person how they connect and what is special about the place that they live or where they come from or how they connect to the world around them. And that helps identify like their purpose as a human being. And so I just I want to say that there's more than just taking people into these wild places but getting people to connect with themselves in that place is really has to be our, our, well, it's our responsibility as an industry and my responsibility as an educator to not assume that the way that I see and experience the place around me, like let's say Mission Bay or paddleboarding on it, that sounds like a lot of fun to me, but it might not be fun. Um, for someone else. And right. so keeping individual identity in mind um, is really an overarching theme for me and my practice. And I know that you all also um, really kind of perpetuate that um, platform for which others can grow and learn. And I, and I appreciate that. Um, I, I, if I could leave here saying one, one thing, it's just, it's not a one size fits all approach for folks. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's, if I look back, I'm just in my own, my own journey. And I, you know, a lot of people that, that I can think about, it's, it really all comes back to like some personal can, you know, really individualized connection mm-hmm. uh, to nature. And I think that's what, and ecological identity that, that later in life will fuel their, you know, environmental stewardship or whatever, whatever sort mm-hmm. of, um, yeah, whatever they're mm-hmm. going moving forward. So that, I, yeah, that's great. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. And I just wanted to say before you get into, um, a tip or tips, 
that I really have appreciated how open you have been with your responses. I feel like even in the first five minutes, I like learned about as much as I knew about you from the time we've worked professionally together. So it's been a pleasure, you know, to have you with us and hear a bit more. It's been an yeah. honor and a privilege. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good, this would be a good thing to do for just like people, you know, even is have, have a podcast interview. It's just like a way to get to know people. It could be a new, a new, um, a new thing in outdoor adventures with the students, mini podcast interview. We do. Think about it. So we do a partner walk often with prompted questions and it is, it's a mini podcast and maybe we'll just reframe um, the design of it to mimic something a little bit more like this. Right. I like that. Yeah. Cool. Great. Awesome. So Kelly would love to, thank you so much for all your answers. Would love to hear. Yeah. If you have a tip or if you, you know, tips you have for the listeners to put into practice, would love to hear. Uh, I have a couple for you. Yeah. Bring it. Tip number one. I dare you to leave your phones behind. Mm, love it. I think that uh, disconnecting from cell service is getting harder and harder in the places that we go. And I think it's more than just leaving behind our ability to communicate. But what happens when we walk away from our devices is one, we there's just so much pressure to communicate. We leave that response time behind and like throw it out the door. It's right. a big step, but it's worth it. But I think more often we've created this boundaryless universe that those feelings exist in. So just by leaving your phone behind is sort of creating new parameters for yourself. And with the pressure that's eliminated from there being a sense of having to take photos or how you might appear in those photos or that someone may take photos of you that will later be put on Instagram and be, you know, not in line with your Instagram identity, there's serious pressure there. Yeah. Um, the amount of time that young women spend preparing themselves for curated content is huge. And yeah. we can do ourselves an enormous benefit of just one time, leave your phone behind and take yourself to a place that matters to you. Nice. That's Love great. It. Mm-hmm. Awesome, thank you. Okay, tip two. This tip is two. a big one. Okay. Uh, we use this philosophy in wilderness medicine. Um, I'm, I'm teaching folks how to prepare themselves to sort of responsibly recreate outdoors safely. And they've got all these tech devices, right? And they like a, a harness of all kinds of like technology that's out there for them. Yeah, like a and party, they say, like is this a... yes? And they say, is this okay? Can I use this? And I said, sure, until your batteries die. <laughs> And so I often say, okay, trust your device, but verify. What that means to me is verify the world around you. Take a minute and look up, look down, look around, and most importantly, look inside. To learn to trust our intuition is a skill. And to be away from the distracting thoughts and distracting noises and people that limit our ability to tap into our intuition is a practice. And so I would say in this context, like first, yeah, learn how to use your map. The map of yourself is like, it's this metaphor, right? And practice it often. Um, And so think about that when you're making decisions that we often look to technology to be be our biggest supporter of what we should do next. 
When in reality, if we have a moment to, we can trust that, but we can also verify within ourselves. Uh, maybe I can look around and see that the weather's changing. The, my device might not, might not tell me that, but I can notice it and make decisions for myself that I can rely on. And again, it's not something that you rely on right away, but that with regular practice, um, the intuition starts to speak a little bit louder. It's ding becomes louder than the ding on your phone. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Tips. Tips. Yeah. Full of them. We call those pro tips. Those are pro tips. Pro tips. Yeah. So, so the challenge full of them. this week. Yeah, I love it. The challenge mm -hmm. for this week is to put Kelly's pro tips into practice. You know, once you know, one time this week, leave your phone behind. Uh, it could be, could be the way to do it. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful, Kelly. Beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Kelly, it was an honor to have you. So, uh, so awesome. I look forward to, you know, maybe having you back on the podcast in the future. This would be, it'd be great to continue the conversation because I think there's so much we could get into here. But just really appreciate your time, mm -hmm. and that'll do it for this episode of the, of the Nature and Public Podcast. So I just want to thank say you so much. This was this was a challenge for me to do, and a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Uh, I learned something about myself by answering some of these difficult questions. So I appreciate the both of you for hosting. Yeah. Awesome. You nailed it. Nailed it, Kelly. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Nature Unplugged podcast. We would love it if you could take a moment to rate and subscribe us on iTunes. Certainly, it helps us out a ton. Uh, you can find our, our podcast episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, basically wherever podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find out lots of uh, wonderful information and resources at natureunplugged.com. And uh, until the next episode, we will uh, catch you later. I think it's best you know I think the story goes Don't tell me if you're leaving Cause I don't want